Hello and welcome to another episode of Between the Bytes, weekly discussions on IT, cybersecurity, and business. My name is Gary Arnold. And I'm Derek Parkinson. This week, we are welcoming in a previous guest and frequent collaborator, one of our colleague and team members, Lee Weech. Lee, how are you? Great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, Lee is one of our director of sales here at Executech. We've had him on the podcast before, had a great discussion, and we thought, you know what? It's time to bring him back. So here we are. Lee, you are, you know, boots on the ground. You're on the front lines with a lot of businesses and their business struggles in general, but of course, specifically their IT struggles that they're facing. And you're one of the guys that helps them understand the solutions. So we wanted to talk to you a little bit about the problems and solutions around technology that businesses might face. And one of the topics that we have hit on in the past, we have a variety of blog posts on this, but I think it's really good to repeat and hear again from you. You've been, you know, part of the business community in a variety of ways and a variety of roles for years now. So I think you have a good perspective on this, and it's one I think that's even more relevant now with the economic, just call it the situation, uh, call it, you know, whatever it is. People are looking to maybe downsize or find ways to reduce expenses and outsourcing work for a business might be a way of cost saving versus having somebody in-house. And of course, we're talking specifically about IT. So Lee, walk us through scenarios, kind of the what's and why's of why a company would want to hire in-house uh, an IT person, which might be this might be the case, or why it might make sense for them to outsource their IT needs. Yeah, it's a great question. I think the first thing to understand is there's always been this ebb and flow in the IT infrastructure world. As the economy grows, businesses expand, add people, as the economy kind of downsizes or kind of drops an anchor, if you will, then people are reducing and companies are reducing size. So that's where the Executech world, the MSPs, the managed service providers kind of come in to fill those gaps on both sides of that equation. So to answer your question specifically, some of the advantages of having it in-house is you have somebody close by. You have somebody in the office, they're at a desk, you know where their office is, they're there eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, they know you. Um, so you can go what we call shoulder taps. You can just walk by, tap them. Hey, I've got a problem. Come fix it right now kind of type situations. And then some of the the other one is they really know your systems in and out. They've typically worked there for a while, over a year, year and a half, two years, whatever that time frame is. And that's all they know is your environment. So they learn it really, really, really well. Not only your firewalls, your switches and, you know, those devices, but the software you're using where your API is going, all of those kind of type things. They really, really know. But some of the things that happens with in-house on the negative side is contrary. That's all they know. So it's hard for them to kind of keep track of the latest trends that are happening in the IT world, the latest advances of what's happening is going on because they're kind of in that world, in that bubble of kind of what's going on. But, you know, they typically ebb and flow. You know, they bring in-house when they grow to a certain size, they'll bring an in-house person to handle. And it, what they handle actually runs the gamut as well. You'll have IT people who handle just the help desk side and then they outsource the heavier lifting, that tier three technical capacity stuff, or they don't want to handle the, the help desk remote support. So then they outsource all that senior engineering. I think it might be helpful for our audience to distinguish something you brought up there on help desk versus tier three. 
what kind of things determine a, we call it a tier three technician? You know, how do I know if I have an in-house IT individual? How do I know if something is outside of their skill set? You know, what are those, what are some of those bigger tasks that I should be like, oh, you know, maybe so-and-so can't handle that? Yeah, one of my funnier answers that I give to people is, is if your IT environment completely blows up, there's a fire and it burns everything or all your equipment is stolen on the weekend, can your individual completely set up your network completely by themselves? And if the answer is yes, then they're a tier three technician because they can set up a firewall, all the switches, all of the routers, the Wi-Fi devices, all of those kind of type things. If they need help, and there's the cadence is how much help will determine whether they're a help desk support technician who typically are handling your password changes. I'm locked out of my email. My computer is blue screened. I can't get it started or some of the more common ones. And then there's a middle ground where you know, it's called a tier two, where a tier two you know, can handle some advanced things, but not quite completely set up a brand new environment. Gotcha. Makes sense. You mentioned kind of a threshold that companies often examine when looking to hire a full-time person in-house. What have you seen is, is that common threshold? Is it just simply a, a function of how many employees your organization has grown to, or are there other factors there? It's typically what we see is by employee size, maybe 75 to 100 employee size is typical. One of the other factors that is involved is when the decision maker, the people who are determining the allocation of funds for employees, what is their personal opinion on having an in-house, someone that they can do the drive-bys, the shoulder taps versus having the outsource. And then the third one that I just thought of is, of course, in the world we live in now, is where are those employees physically located? Makes a big, huge difference now. We have Many and many clients of ours now where the, the organization is over 100 employees, but they're scattered, they're remote, they're in different states, different countries, different you know, cities. So they don't have an IT need at a single location for you know, a 75 to 100 plus. So I guess contrasting, you kind of covered the pros and cons of having a full-time employee in-house. Walk us through, again, same thing, pros and cons of, of outsourcing. One of the obvious answers is you don't have someone physically in the building the entire time. We use ticketing systems where everything's done by a ticket and quick responses. And as fast as an MSP, a managed service provider, can reply to a ticket, there's no way that we can be as fast as just walking into somebody's desk and saying, hello, I need your help right now. So there's that time gap, a little of a time gap that takes into account. One of the negatives is, as I mentioned, not really knowing the systems outside of your systems. So MSPs will have a training department. Third-party sources that come in, demand service providers, bring in the knowledge base of what's the more current, what's coming in down the road, what's, what's the future of technology. So we're going to be able to keep abreast and in front of that wave, that technology wave, Whereas it's harder for people in an in-house environment to do that because they're typically having to study and take courses outside of their 40-hour week, weekdays to do. So it's really hard to do that. And then one of the other ones from a financial standpoint that, that we talk from a consultative side of things is how much time is the technician actually being used in that in-house situation? 
I jokingly say all the time to people and they laugh that if you walk into the IT person's office, I can guarantee you their monitors face towards the door. So you're looking at the back of their monitor when they walk in the door and I, you probably hear a click when you walk in the door. So, cause there's this just overall time in which they're not being used during those days. And so you have to do that cost analysis of how much time is really being used and can we outsource that? Again, reasons to outsource, it sounds like cost might be a factor. And I, I, maybe you covered that. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about where cost comes into play in choosing to outsource. Yeah, a lot of the clients, when I'm doing my consultative side of my job is we'll look at the total number of hours that a consultant is using in an in-house situation. And you're paying them 40 hours a week, right? But maybe you can determine that they're only doing 20 hours of actual work in a given week. So you have the convenience of the shoulder taps, the drive-bys, but you're paying a premium for that. And does it financially make sense to outsource it to a managed service provider that can give you relatively close response times and then you know reduce that overall cost. And of course, you have the insurance and the vacation days and the taxes and all those other factors that come into play. I guess that's another small factor that I know we have a variety of stories from a variety of clients where something happens with the in-house IT person, whether it's they simply go on vacation or it's something uh, more of an emergency or, or a problem and they become unavailable. Uh, do you have a specific story like that in mind where that's that's happened? Yeah, it's, two stories come to mind. We had a client, this is years ago, probably seven to nine years ago, where unfortunately the IT in-house manager was in an accident and was in the hospital. And we had to come in and kind of reset all the passwords, kind of make sure everything was up and running. Uh, because of a serious accident that the IT manager was in and all of their knowledge was in their head. So they owned it all. Uh, we use a system called IT Glue, where we put all our passwords and all the information for our clients behind, you know, firewalls, secured multi-factor authentication. So it's protected, but it's not in our technicians' brains. Uh, so in case something happens, you know, somebody else can step in. And then uh, another example, down in the Utah County area of Salt Lake, we are uh, what we call backstop. So they have an in-house person. Uh, we are backstopping them at five hours a week. And it gives them a peace of mind that their IT manager can go on vacation. He can have a sick day. You know, something could happen. And we know the network well enough to just step in and be their IT manager for a day, week, however long a period of time that is. So from a managerial standpoint, they feel relieved, kind of sense of pressures released that something can happen and we can take over at a moment's notice. Yeah, that's awesome. Makes a lot of sense. Appreciate your thoughts here, Lee. I think we've covered sort of the pros and cons of a full-time employee, the pros and cons of outsourcing. And, and there's also scenarios where it's very much blended, where it makes sense to you have a full-time person, but maybe they aren't highly technical CTO level. So you need somebody to come do that. Or maybe the opposite. They are very highly technical, but they don't want to bother themselves with fixing the printer uh, every other week. So, you know, there's scenarios where outsourcing that kind of stuff can also make sense. So it's, it's definitely a blend of ways to solve technology problems. But I guess speaking of that, the other thing that kind of the big topic we wanted to bring up with you, Lee, is is again, as you're out and about talking with so many businesses, what is the catalyst? What's going on out there in the business community that's causing IT frustration, assuming there is frustration? I guess, 
what are companies needing? What are you seeing around in IT environments? Yeah, the biggest thing that I'm hearing when I'm at my association meetings, the solid chamber of commerce meetings, stuff like that, when people are just having chit chat conversation, this isn't, you know, in a sales capacity. These are just everyday conversations I'm having with people. The typical thing I'm hearing is time, response time, whether it's they're with a current managed service provider, something goes down and unfortunately the current provider can't get there for four hours, five hours, whatever that period of time is. And the business is losing money, right? They can't transact. They're, maybe they're sending their employees home for the afternoon because they can't do anything at that point in time. So that plays a big trend. There, there's a really big trend right now. And you mentioned earlier, Gary, is the cost analysis. A lot of people are really putting pen to paper and using the calculator and really figuring out how much are we spending on these type things, you know, because let's face it, businesses today can't go without technology. Everything runs on some form of technology now. So it's no, no longer an afterthought. It's on the forefront of people's mind of how much we're spending and what we're doing. And then the third one that I'll mention is from a compliance standpoint. If they have any compliance needs that are taking place and they might realize that the in-house person doesn't have the capacity to get them to the compliance standards that they're now facing or their current MSP isn't capable of getting them to that same point as well. So it's amazing to me from a contract standpoint. So our clients doing business with their, you know, prime or who they're getting their business from that prime business is really setting standards of what their compliance need to be, what their technology needs to be, and they have to keep up or they can't supply them with that particular product. Yeah, I mean, again, you, you bring up that great point. We've we've had it mentioned here before that, and, and of course, we're a little biased. You know, we work in IT, so we're going to say this. But but technology really is integral to every aspect of your business. Yeah, the analogy was made. We had another guest on that made the analogy of it's it's like a car. You know, you can do the very basic level maintenance and get by. If you're okay with your car getting a top speed of sixty miles an hour, and it takes you twelve seconds to get there. If that's acceptable to you, then you can run your car or your IT in this case, as the analogy goes, at that level. But most businesses aren't okay with a vehicle that doesn't have a, top, a good top speed and won't get up to that top speed quickly. I mean, you get the analogy, but the importance of, of well-running IT can't be overstated, I think. Yeah, one thing I'll add, you just brought up, thought that I just had is, is a really good IT manager, whether they're in-house or whether it's an outsourced IT acting as your IT manager, they should be able to give you an IT roadmap and find the different things that your delinquent on maybe can improve. Doesn't mean you have to do it. Doesn't mean you have to spend, you know, gobs of money to get the Rolls Royce, but at least you have an idea of where from an IT perspective you stand uh, where you should go or where your eyes should be going for the future. And then you can, maybe you check those things off, you know, maybe Q2, Q3, you inherit some money and have a good quarter. And so you spend an extra $10,000 upgrading something at that particular time. But we always say we put the IT roadmap together. The decision makers inside the organization are deciding when and how much and what's going on. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to go back. You mentioned the compliance need, and that that's a, a frequent need we see with companies is, is the need to get more compliant. 
But of course, as it relates to cybersecurity in general, what are you seeing in, with business leaders? Is cybersecurity top of mind for them? Are they mildly worried about it, but it's more of all get around to it? What's, what's the sense you get around the attitude towards cybersecurity? The biggest factor is what does that business do? What is their core sense of business? Where is their income coming from? If you're a city, municipality, water district, something public, very top of the mind, very, very much top of the mind. If the opposite side of that scale, of course, is if you have 30 employees and you're making widgets, you know, maybe it's not top of the mind. The person who owns the business isn't really worried about cybersecurity. Um, they don't really pay attention to the news, maybe, so they don't know what's going on. And so they're you know, a little oblivious to what's happening. But the moment you start having conversations, the moment their neighbor, the business next to them has a cyber event, they get serious real fast. We're heavily involved in the cyber conversations. I've been on multiple Zoom calls, Teams calls with the actual insurance company. So the insurance agent is on the call with us and our client, and they're going through what is needed to actually get insurance, not cybersecurity insurance anymore as a separate entity. It's the primary insurance is stating you have to have the following three IT-related security protocols in place. So the insurance world is driving a lot of this monster as well. And of course, that rolls back into the factors you discussed, such as cost and things like that. Feels like IT is a cost center. Yeah, but if, if you can no longer if you can no longer get insurance for your business, then you don't have a business. You know, so that goes back to my earlier comment. Uh, business owners, decision makers, CFO types are really, really understanding that the IT plays a critical role in their business being productive, plus the back end office of the business, the insurance and all those other type things. But cyber's not going away. It's it's not going away at all. Cybercrime will continue to grow, will continue to be part of our thorn in our sides for a while now. If you're a frequent listener of the podcast, that should come as no surprise. And that's, you know, half the reason we even do this is to really raise awareness of those issues and the importance of those issues. Well, they're successful. They're making money at it. They're a business just like any other business. So if you make money at something, you don't stop. Yep. You continue, you double down, you do it faster, harder, smarter, and it's working. I mean, just Google search any cybercrime payment and you'll get huge dollar figures yep. that are being paid out. Yeah, I think that's one thing for people to realize. And I'm sure Lee, you've felt this way before when you start talking cybersecurity is you want to raise awareness but you've got so many different examples and things to pull from that for us, Gary and I have talked about it before as well. It almost starts to feel like fear mongering. But the situation is, is that it, it genuinely is just that serious and that frequent. And like you said, to your point is it's a business and it's a booming business. It's very profitable for them. So it, it really is that prevalent. It really is that bad and that constant. I mean, we Gary and I, especially, and, and with James, because of this podcast, we have a handful of subscriptions and news outlets, all very different that we reach out to. And it is every day we can close our eyes and throw a dart and we'll find some kind of a cybersecurity headline, even if it's not a tech publication, if that's just something that's big enough that they have to talk about because it's just that constant. Yeah. One thing too, I'll add is it's not size of company anymore as well. 
you know, they're not going for the, you know, $500 million companies. They'd like to, but it runs the gamut of sizes, you know, here in Utah alone, in the December of 2021, we met with two smaller organizations, 15, uh, say 40 employee size, one in Salt Lake County, one in Utah County. And each one of them had a situation where the finance department wired money to a fictitious bank. And the, the people, the criminals were inside the email. They were monitoring the email. And you guys have talked about it on different podcasts, but they watch and wait for their optimum time and put in the routing information. We're big money. We're not talking little money. We're talking $800,000, $900,000 of a company of 30 to 40 employees. That's crippling. You know, that could be crippling without the right insurance and the right protocols and the multi-factor authentication to allow the insurance to kick in. But the insurance, the way the insurance companies are going these days, if you're not doing very key fundamental things, they're not writing the insurance anymore. They're out. You're not getting the insurance. It's a crazy world. Stay safe out there, I guess. Stay suspicious. Lee, as always, we appreciate your insights. There is one last thing uh, I wanted you to kind of recover. We we covered it in the episode that you had uh, that you were on with us last year, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it, it bears some repeating, I guess, just to raise awareness of an IT assessment. And you'll hear from most IT service providers and other related type services that they will offer an IT assessment. And in transparency and jokingly, is that just a free sales call? No. So tell us, Lee, what can a company expect? What should they expect? And what are the takeaways from having a third party come in and do an assessment on your IT infrastructure and network? Yeah, there's really two different versions, as I like to call them, of IT assessments. There's more of a conversation where we'll bring in a couple high-level IT technicians who have been around and have seen a lot of different things. And We'll just have a conversation with you of what's working, what's not working. And if you had a million dollars, what would you like to change? And just kind of walk through your current situation and give some best tips, best practices that we kind of see to do. And then there's the deeper dive. And this is where passwords are needed, domain logins and passwords are needed. And we're going to really, really dive in to your environment. Check your firewall, check the dates, make sure it's updated, make sure it's current, those kind of type things. Maybe fire off on the firewall to see whether or not we can get in. So the idea is, is to have an kind of an independent third party come in who doesn't have any skin in the game. They're not your in-house person who is going to give you all A's because that's their job is to make sure that you're current. You know, this is an independent party who's going to take a really hard look at what's going on and then give you kind of what I mentioned earlier, an IT roadmap. They're going to give you a list of suggestions Uh, hopefully with some approximate dollar figures attached of what it's going to take to get there. And then, you know, the decision makers of the world and the business can sit down and really take a look at, all right, where are we? Where are we at? Let's face it. There's a few people that sit in that C-suite that are IT related individuals who have kind of been around and been part of the conversations, but they don't know as much about the IT world as a technician who's doing it every day of their life. So it's just an extra set of eyes just to get a look at what's going on, help you out with what's happening. And just similar to when you're like, you're going to sell your house or or better yet, you're going to buy a house. You want to know if that house is safe. Is the roof good? Is the walls about to fall down? What do you do? You hire somebody to come in and do an inspection of your house. 
to make sure that I'm spending $500,000 on something that's not going to cost me an extra $200,000 in the next year to keep. Similar concept, right? Yeah. Bring somebody in, hire them, take a look at it, and then they'll give you, you asked, what do you get? You'll get a summary of what we found or what the company found if it's not Executech. What did we see? What makes us nervous? What are we going to not sleep well at night knowing that you have it? You know, those type situations. I think that's really great. That sort of uh, scenario, I think, happens a lot in a variety of different. I mean, you get a third party audit for your accounting, right? It's just required by law in, in a lot of ways. So it makes sense that that exists for IT. And correct me if I'm wrong, Lee, but are there not some of these compliances that, standards that we've brought up? Some of them require <laughs> that you have a, a test done, a penetration test on your network done as part of meeting compliance. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, the federal government, the people who are setting the standards for these compliance will say once a year, every two years, there's different time frames depending on what the compliance standard you are. But yeah, you have to go through an audit and let's be frank, some of them are expensive. They cost money. $20,000 for some of these things are very expensive, but they're very, very thorough. And again, you have to have that stamp of approval to then have the contract of a couple million dollars. So it's worth it in the long run to get that rubber stamp that you're approved and you, and you meet all those qualifications. I'm curious on my end with your assessments and things that you do, how often do you run into really old technology still? Is that still an issue? Do you still have older generations of owners who it doesn't affect them the same way as, for example, Gary and I's generation with us, a slow computer? I'd rather take a just the worst kind of coworker in the world. I'd rather have that than a, than a slow computer. And there are still some business owners that that have a hard time making that change, rightfully so. If that's just not how things were when you're growing up and when you were starting in your companies and everything, uh, that's a tough change to make or a tough area to empathize or sympathize, whichever one it is. Is that still an issue or is that less prevalent these days? Yeah, still an issue, still still relevant. I said it earlier in the podcast, but who's making the decisions? What's their personal opinion on technology? You know, as Gary's analogy earlier, if they're okay driving the 2002 Honda Accord with 350,000 miles on it, and it gets them from point A to point B, and there's no weather, I'm not worried about anything, and it works, and we're making money, then they'll ride that. They'll continue to drive it. But the moment that uh, two things that I can think of that change that one is when the employees start complaining loud enough, maybe they start leaving the organization because the technology is bad. They're losing production out of it and they can put a dollar figure attached to it. If I give Susie Q employee a new computer at a thousand dollars, I might be able to get or they calculate I can get an extra hour of productivity out of her in a day, a week, whatever that time period is, and she's happier, They're, the morale in the environment is better, and people are just doing better work because they have better things. And then, of course, what the company does for a living. If you're a marketing firm, an advertising firm, something where it's speed is an issue, then yeah, you're going to have a much higher level quality devices but if you're a manufacturing firm and you got a device out back that prints out the mailing labels, <laughs> that device is going to be on the older side of things for sure. <laughs> awesome. 
And again, Lee, thank you, as always, for your insights. I guess as we begin to wrap it up, are there any closing thoughts you have about what we've talked about or things that you would want to share to business leaders or the audience in general? Yeah, the biggest thing is don't be afraid to bring an independent third party in to take a look at the environment. Yeah, you might get a little sales pitchy from them type thing, but it's it's still a great idea to know where you stand and know where you're at and where your technology is. As we mentioned, maybe take a look at the age of the equipment. You know, if your server is eight years old, nine years old, make sure you have backups. Something's going to happen at some point in time. Just an overall feel. I find that a lot of higher ups in an organization, they kind of have their weekly 30 minute meeting about IT and sometimes they brush it off. They don't take it kind of serious. So I tell people in that element of the business, stay involved, know what's going on. Be involved in what's happening from a technology side inside your business because it's mission critical. It's going to cripple you. You'll have an Achilles heel break kind of type thing if something happens and you're in trouble quickly. And the other thing that I would advise is there's more on the staying on the trends, but maybe there's peer groups you can join that discuss different topics. Maybe there's chambers of commerce. Maybe there's different organizations associations attached to your organization that you can be involved in and go to their lunches, not necessarily just for IT, but maybe you learn something about HR, you learn about finance, you learn about IT, you learn about hiring, firing rules, new laws that are going into effect. Just stay involved in what's going on. And and I personally feel that when they do that, their business will thrive. And then of course, the last one is, is kind of obvious, but stay involved in your business from a people standpoint. Know your people, walk around the room, have conversations with your key employees that are there. And not just your key employees, but all your employees should know your name, should know what's going on. You should know their name. You should maybe know their kids. You know, all of those things, I think, is starting to get lost a little bit in today's business world because we're fragmented. We're not all in the office every single day. We're not seeing each other eight hours a day. So how and what can business leaders do to bring the culture back to businesses? Yeah, I like what you said, staying involved, especially with the people. There was a very recent example of not knowing the people you're hiring or not better, not understanding the people that you're hiring. And that was with the Department of Defense and Discord. I don't know if either of you have heard this news that came out. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's younger gentlemen in the Department of Defense was on Discord over something. I don't, I didn't read in cliff notes, but basically got in an argument saying that he had this military clearance bragging about it and people told him you're a liar. So he took some military documents and put them on Discord to prove that he was valuable, basically. If older generations aren't staying in touch, not knowing what Discord is, not knowing what these, what these different yeah. social media platforms and things can do and, and what they are, then it makes it a lot harder to do the training. And, you know, you would think that this would be obvious, but again, human error, nothing's obvious. You got to train on everything of, hey, probably don't share these documents through social media channels publicly. You've got to stay in touch so that you're aware of what's going on. You have to know what your environment is. And it changes really quickly, which again is a total self-serving plug. That's where outsourced IT comes into play is our technicians. That's... Mm -hmm a big chunk of their job is staying up to date and staying on top of what changes, what new, and like our cybersecurity team, what new risks or threats come up and what are the things we need to train both internally and our clients with 
as far as threats go. So yeah, staying in touch is, is a very big deal on a number of levels. Yeah, one thing I'll add to what you just said is when people read those stories, they might think it's not happening to me. That's the government or some big Target or Walmart. It's not going to happen to me, but it does happen. What's your employee security stance? Now, there's software that you can put on for mobile device management, mobile document management. So you know if people are downloading documents and putting it onto a thumb drive, you can see that alerts take place. It's not hard and it's not expensive. But again, as we mentioned, stay involved, make sure you have a plan, make sure you're talking to experts to get an idea of what's the best practices to do. Yep. You're only as strong as your uh, weakest link when it comes to your security and your employee security. All right. Well, Lee, we appreciate your thoughts. Uh, This has been a great episode, very insightful on a variety of topics. And so we appreciate uh, you taking your time to come out here. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That is it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe and check back the other episodes and our blog for more insights on cybersecurity and business. Thanks. Yeah.